Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick, and we have Chase Kitty on the podcast tonight. So we'll start with you, Jack. How are you this evening? I had a really clever intro for myself tonight, but I completely forgot it um, about 15 minutes ago. So um, just how are you doing tonight, Chase? Wow, what an introduction. Um... (laughs) (laughs) The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, I'm doing I'm doing well. I uh, got to see third eye blind last night in Richmond, uh, so that was cool. And just uh, another another productive Tuesday, cranking out work for the man. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Nice. That is always good to hear, Jack. That's also a very convenient way to to intro things to be like, oh, I had some incredible. Exactly. Up, see, it and, was uh, something. I just forgot it. It was something really good. If I think about it, you guys can uh, check out our Twitter at JMU Sports News. Give us a follow over there. And that's how you plug a social if it feels wow. right. That felt yeah, right. Yeah, I guess it felt right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. Really good. <laughs> thank you. Thank we you. Are, we're moving right along. All right. So we have a lot to talk about as it is Richmond week. It Very is? exciting. Of course it is. Man. It's got that smell in the air. It's got that like dog food or yes. cat food smell in the air that you're looking for. And uh, it, yeah, it's Richmond week. So we've got that. We've got men's basketball. Who, if they had scored 32 more points than the 34 points they scored, they would have beaten UVA. Very interesting. If they scored and more than, what, nine points in the second half? 11. 11. <laughs> Give them the double-digit credit. And then women's basketball as well, they're looking pretty good. Um, and they have a massive game on Wednesday at home against Maryland. So that's bringing the top 10 opponent. I believe they're still probably in the top 10. I think they lost. but Yeah, so I guess let's start with football. They obliterated New Hampshire. Jack, do you have any key takeaways? Um, so I was working during this game, but I was following along with live stats because I didn't want to be that guy watching a full-on game on, <laughs> while I was working the register at this shop. So I just put on live stats and kind of had it underneath the computer. And Fair. all I could say is it just seemed like every time I looked down, JMU had added another touchdown. They had just run for another huge game. Percy seemed to be having a game. Ben seemed to be having a game. 
So from a eye standpoint, I can't really give a lot of it, like give a lot to it. But I just know that second quarter was unreal. And from there, they just coasted. Chase, do you have any key takeaways from this one? Just that I thought they played up to expectation. And my expectations mm-hmm. were admittedly high for that game. But the, the sense that I got was that they really needed the bye week. And I've talked about this in a couple of, to- a couple of places, including our roundtable that, that the three of us do every week. Uh, but that, uh, that felt right, too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Don't you just uh, love it when those just come together? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I, I thought coming out of the bye, they were going to be crisp. They were going to finally have that week that they needed to put everything together, to identify the mistakes, to fill the gaps, to do all the things that you know a high-level coaching staff is going to do with a week off and a really good roster. And they came out and they did all of those things. And, you know, New Hampshire had a decent start to the game. Uh, They come out, they score a couple points, admittedly, on the backs of of some strict plays and, and you know, I heard Robin Todd talking about this earlier this week about how, yep. yeah, they got the early – you do it with trick plays in the first quarter. You kind of know, like, that might be the only punch they had to throw. I thought that was a great observation. I thought they came out and they took care of business and they rolled and they made really a statement win. I don't think – not to ding on, on the team here, I don't think it's as big a deal – as maybe other people do, because I just don't think New Hampshire's the number 10 team. I thought they were way overrated when that peak ahead uh, ranking came out. I think this is more of a top 25 team than a top 10 team. We, we give the polls a lot of crap, but I actually think the polls have New Hampshire in, in a better spot, mm-hmm. uh, in a more accurate spot. But they came out and they smashed a good team. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what I wanted to see from them. I thought that's exactly what we would get. And to JMU's credit, that is what we got. Yeah, they definitely came to play. And I think the bye week point is, is an important one. Finally getting that week off, getting a chance to rest. And the way it's scheduled late in the year, you might not like it at the beginning of the season, but I think it could work nicely for them, assuming they went out and get a bye. I think that's definitely valuable to be able to get a bye week you know, early on in November and then get another one at the end of November. Yeah. It seems like they're sort of having a chance to rest up at the right time, which is certainly yeah, but I mean, they're impressive. New Hampshire, I think that at least the three of us certainly agree that they they were probably overrated. Like, I think everyone was very surprised at the, at yeah. the committee's rating um, at number 10, which I guess sort of made it seem like a bigger game. And maybe that helps JMU in terms of getting the two seed moving forward. But it was interesting. And I thought Danucci was really good. He won CAA Offensive Player of the Week. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on Danucci, how he's playing, and then how much of his success – is sort of him playing at a really high level and how much of it is the fact that he's got just a ridiculous number of weapons around him that he's able to just, you know, hit with 10 yard passes and they're able to some things like that. That's a really good question. Um, I want to hear Chase's thoughts so I can just piggyback on him. Um, <laughs> I, I think, so I think the easiest way to answer that question is in the context of the CAA offensive player of the year debate that sort of, been sparked over the last couple of days. If you look at Ben DiNucci's numbers, you look at his his rushing yards, his passing yards, a lot of the raw numbers put him third in the league. Uh, but I don't know that he's the third best quarterback, right? And, and the best argument in his defense 
is his efficiency numbers just absolutely blast everybody else in the conference and a lot of other players in FCS football, frankly. Uh, I think he is having a fringe All-American kind of year. I think he he absolutely is playing the way that Mike Houston wanted him to last year, where he understands, I do not have to win this game by myself. I have an insane number of playmakers around me. All I have to do is distribute the ball and hand the ball off in the exact places that I am asked to do so. And then one or two times a game, if I can make a play with my legs or I can make an awesome throw or I can escape a tackle for a loss or a sack, if I can make a first down on a dead play, that's all I need to do. Uh, I think he's totally doing that right now. I think that's what he failed to grasp, grasp sort of last year. It's what he's been doing for months now in 2019. I think the CA player of the year thing is fascinating because it's, hey, this guy has done roughly the same in terms of raw stats as these other two guys, and he has way more to work with. I think that's an argument for Tom Flacco, or maybe even if you wanted to get super stats heavy, it might be an argument for Priori at Rhode Island, who's never going to win this. I, I don't want people to think I'm suggesting that. But his numbers are really good. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting sort of dilemma. Uh, and you can, I think, make defensible arguments both ways. All I would say is that I, I think the play has been really high level. And I think there was a, a sort of a, I don't want to say loud, but a noticeable portion of the fan base that said at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, you cannot win a national championship with Ben DiNucci. I think that's absolutely not true, and I think he's proven it over the course of this year. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, he was good last season. I loved Danucci last year. As If you go back and listen to the tapes, you can hear it all the time. I think he was a good quarterback last year, and I think within this system that Signetti brought and the coaching that Signetti brings – I think he's just grown so much more this year. I mean, you made the points. He's finally figured out that he doesn't have to throw for 300 yards and rush for 100 and force balls into places that he otherwise shouldn't throw. And now he's understanding, I'm going to take what's given to me. If it's a quick slant, it's a quick slant. If it's a deep fade to Polk, it's a deep fade to Polk. I'm not going to force anything. And he's really just playing within himself in this offense. He's He is that distributor. But I think the key to his game this season is just how pretty his deep ball has been. Um, I think, Benny, you said it in the piece, his deep ball is elite this season. There were flashes of a good deep ball thrower that he, he is now. Last season when he was throwing to Eldridge, um, but Eldridge just never could come down with it. Now he has the weapon in Polk that can come down with it. And even some of the other guys in Stapleton and Dean can come down with those deep passes. And he looks so good and while the stats might not be there I think that also might be because that Jamie's fine with turning it and handing it off 30 40 times a game and kind of only allowing Danucci to maybe have 25 attempts compared to Flacco who's having 40 attempts or Priori who's having 40 attempts so I think that's really why his his pure raw stats are are low but I think like you guys have both said over and over, his efficiency numbers are just out of this world. And I think that's what, if he does get consideration for player of the year, it's going to come back to efficiency. And I'm in the camp that he should be in high consideration for this player of the year. Yeah, I think so too. When you look at his stats compared to Flacco's, 
I looked at them today and they're remarkably similar. Um, much closer than I would have expected. I think Danucci's got like 17 touchdown passes and four interceptions. And I think 18 and four. Uh, their yardage is pretty similar. Flacco's got significantly more passing attempts and uh, he's got like 30 more runs, but I guess sacks factor into that as well. Um, but no, I mean, they've both been really impressive and those two are probably your two main ones. You never want to Jeff Undercuffler at Albany. Hey, not the Undercuffler. Never sleep on him. But no, I've been really impressed with the new chief. I think he is playing well and the weapons certainly help. I think you could probably make an argument for Flacco too. That he's continued with some strong performances with uh, Simpson out of the backfield with him being injured. Flacco's mm-hmm. still been a pretty solid player, so maybe there's an argument there. But uh, I don't know. I think Danucci's certainly got a chance if they look at efficiency and, and value that as opposed to just those raw numbers. But um, if we know anything about certain FCS awards and things like that, it does tend to be kind of a raw number thing. So we'll see how that Yeah. Um, would you guys, the other player, would you guys no, be surprised if, if Danucci ends up not as the CAA player of the year, not as the CAA first team all quarterback, but gets like a third team all American nod from somebody. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I wouldn't. I be think surprised. that could happen. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think the CAA. Yeah, I think he'll get. Honestly, that um, that might be more plausible than him winning player of the year. There's just something in me that makes me think that they'll look at the raw numbers only and those aren't going to jump off the page. I mean, you kind of have to have the eye test with Danucci and you have to look at his efficiency numbers and you have to see his whole game and watch his whole game rather than just pick apart what's his yards per attempt, what's his overall yardage, what's his completion percentage, like, which are all good, but Flacco edges him out a little bit, I believe. Maybe not a completion percentage. Not completion percentage, yeah. but everywhere else. Yeah. So I think – I think it might be even more likely that he gets a third team all American nod or maybe even a second team all American nod than he does being a first team CAA quarterback. Cause if Flacco wins player of the year, then he'll be the first team quarterback. Get. I'm also interested to see Flacco won last season, right? I believe so. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested do you think that'll factor in at all, them not wanting to give it to Flacco twice in a row? No, I, I don't uh, think there's they actually care. any precedent there. If they want to vote for Tom Flacco, I think Tom Flacco will be the offensive player of the year. I, I think a more interesting gotcha. question might be how much does narrative play a part in this? Like how much does the mm-hmm. fact that Danucci had some high-profile bad games in 18 play into the fact that people might want to vote for him in 19 because of the off-season transformation that he went through versus Flacco being relatively the same player this year, albeit with maybe even fewer offensive weapons than he had last year. That's an interesting point. I, yeah. I also kind of the, – the highest profile game this season for JMU, I mean, Danucci threw, you could argue, an interception that lost him the game. So does that kind of factor in when people are thinking about it? Does that pop out that they're like, oh, he just hasn't played a good team yet? I don't know. There's so many different things, and I really I, have no I think idea what JMU the fans, I think JMU fans are the only people still talking about that throw. I do too, yeah. but I'm also very glad that the the like narrative around Danucci has stopped. Our mentions at, on our Twitter are no longer filled with Danucci hate, but people standing Danucci. I think part of it was the Stony Brook game where he had like the big run, he did the flex and they won. 
and they were all on him. Then they go out to win the next one against Villanova. I think that kind of stopped the narrative of like, well, he can't win a big game when he wins two ranked games in yeah. a row. But kind of because the offense was good, right? The defense, I don't think, was was crazy in either two. They obviously had the huge pick six, pick six against Villanova, but in the Stony Brook game, the defense was certainly not the story. So I think Danucci being able to shine when the defense maybe had two off weeks was huge for him. Now, here's another question all about narrative and things like that. If Towson fails to make the playoffs, do you think that hurts Flacco? Uh, not necessarily, no. Okay. And I think they're going to end up making the playoffs anyway. Yeah, I do too. I, I think if you look at what they have left on the schedule, they're going to get there. Oh, yeah, they're going to hit – yeah. The, the thing about I, – I mean, look, Devlin Hodges won the Walter Payton, and I think his team was 6-5. and five. So I mean, some of this awards voting, especially with especially with FCS football, it's just it feels like it's all about stats. I, I, and I wonder what the factors are in that. Like, I wonder if people really watch the games. I wonder if people are able to watch the games. Like a lot of these, I, like we just can't watch a lot of Big Sky football. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how many uh, Eastern Washington fans listen to this podcast, but like, I would love to watch the Eagles more. I would. They're never yeah. on TV over here. I don't know what kind of weird Montana cable package is going on over there, but I we don't get it over here. We just put the them on flow there. football. Just put them on flow football and yeah. everything's fixed. Well, the problem with that is if you also got big sky football games with flow football, it would be such a good deal. They'd probably have to raise the price to thirty nine ninety nine a month. <laughs> uh, so that would be a problem for me personally. <laughs> what a ridiculous. <laughs> price that they have on that thing for football unbelievable but the other player i wanted to talk about switching gears a little bit i think the beginning of the season at least, <laughs> at least jack and i had talked a lot about how we thought percy might be the guy and now it sort of seems like percy is the guy i mean are you guys surprised that the committee thing seems like it's fading out or is, is this something you maybe expected i i don't I have to look at the stats to really – is it fading out? Like, is it really fading out? It's kind of yeah, fading it's, out. Yeah, it's, it's very faded out. Never mind. I just looked at it. Van Horse is – are they keeping his red shirt? I think he already redshirted. Did he? Oh, yeah, he didn't play last year. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. My fault. My fault. Disregard everything yep. I'm saying. I feel like he's banged up. That's what I – because he didn't get a touch. And Latrell bang, is banged up now too. That sounds correct. I is think they're correct? relying on him because he is the healthiest back right now. Mm. I think it's tough to predict if everybody's healthy a month from now when we when we okay. start getting into the meat of the playoffs. Uh, knock on wood, you know, assuming JMU is there a month from now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wonder if he will continue to get this percentage of the workload. I think that's the question. He's certainly looking... capable. I mean, he's certainly good enough. Oh, yeah, he's he's I don't think anybody questions that. Yeah, fantastic back. I think yeah, Van Horse last played against he had two attempts in William and Mary and only four attempts in Villanova game. In the Villanova game. That was some bad grammar. But um so he's probably a little banged up. And Palmer's now banged. I mean, just yeah, looking at yeah. Remember at the beginning of the season when Austin Douglas was getting reps, Van Horst, Juwan, and Percy? Like, just so how much has this backfield kind of 
steered away from that. And, but yeah, I, I think that's a good point that Percy's the healthiest and he's probably the best. So let's ride, ride him as long as we can. Um, but then once other guys start getting fully healthy, we'll start to see them kind of worked back into the fold, like Van Horse and Palmer or more so Van Horse, but Percy's good. Yeah. yeah it's, it's interesting too. Cause I was listening to Greg Medea's podcast. And I think he said that, um, that Douglas, they moved him to corner, but I believe they yeah. moved him back to running back. So I think he's, he's actually back at running back, which is kind of weird. He's only played. Um, he was really games, solid, though. So maybe they'll, they'll keep, keep the red his red shirt. shirt. Yeah. Has he been on kickoff though? It's just for participation. I only see him in yeah, under games played. It's four for him. So okay, well maybe there's something there too. That's interesting. And then no, Jack. He was the other freshman recruit. He hasn't seen the field. He hasn't seen the field, but I. Who was it? Was it Noah that was saying he's he was coming off an injury, so they were just going to keep him. He was a senior year of high school, yeah. Yeah, so, so I guess redshirt for him as well. Yeah. A lot of running backs to keep track of. Becomes difficult. Yeah, and then Jawan just hasn't been get- – but Jawan never really was a high carry back. Right. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. It's the spell guy and the receiver out of the backfield. It's an interesting <laughs> dynamic. I didn't even think about that until you just brought that up. I didn't even realize they were kind of drifting away from running back by committee right after – we went on the podcast and said running back by committee. We were wrong. It's the best thing in the world. Signetti does the opposite of what we tell him to do. Yeah, exactly. Jeez. Were you guys surprised to see sort of the tight ends get a little more involved this week? You think that's a good thing moving forward? Chase, I guess we can start with you. Uh, I just think in general, I've really been impressed by the evolution of Dylan Stapleton's role in the offense. Uh, Because I, I feel like last year, of course he came in really fast he got that immediate eligibility, uh, which I, I don't. I don't know if they expected that. Uh, maybe they did. I just don't know. Uh, and I thought they would use him, and they would even use him in big moments. But it, it felt like he had a lot of room to grow as he learned the offense, and he, he adjusted to Division One football. And now I think this past month he's played his best football that I've ever seen from him. So I, I am. I do think. A lot of it is is less about the position and more about him, uh, his personal evolution. But, I mean, I, I think when you talk about the tight ends, you just talk about how JMU is – I don't want to say opening the playbook necessarily. <laughs> Secret playbook. I, I, feel, I feel like I, it's one of those things that gets said and you're like, okay, but you're totally guessing. You know, yeah. like, like none of us have any idea what JMU's playbook <laughs> looks like. How they're calling, like, talk about an absolute guess. <laughs> yes. uh, but I do think they are trying to put new things on film with the playoffs sort of on the horizon a few weeks away. I do think they're trying some new things, and there's a variety of reasons why you would do that. But they're putting it on tape, and people are going to have to be ready for that, and people are going to be have to be ready for the idea that there's. You know, this is not like most FCS teams. This is not breaking news. But JMU has a lot of people they can go to on offense. They have multiple running backs. They have multiple receivers. They have multiple tight ends. And then they have a quarterback that can make plays in a lot of different ways. So I think they are evolving the offense. And I think there will continue to be players that you might not necessarily think of right off the bat when you think about this offense that continue to evolve into new positions that can be threatening even in the playoffs. 
I think that's a good point. I also think there's a chance. There have been a lot of rumors going around that Donnie Kirkpatrick, he left his secret playbook in the tunnels <laughs> at JMU. Shane Montgomery finally figured out where they were. <laughs> he found the playbook. And now we're seeing, <clears throat> we're seeing all these new wrinkles. So keep an eye on that. It, we don't get questions. So if you're going to ask Remedia a question, I think that should be your question. Did <laughs> Shane Montgomery find... He did. You know, which <laughs> I want to read a fourteen hundred page feature from Greg about the process of finding the secret playbook. I would also like that. That is my request, uh, Greg. If you're listening, <laughs> I want it to open on the stairs of Harrison Hall. <laughs> I want there to be quotes from like kids who were streaking the quad yes. and just happened to see like fifty football players fanning out. And looking for like an old, (laughs) some sort of old box. I don't know, like from the Dragon Triangle, maybe like very foreign and exotic looking. Uh, That's the story that I want to read next week in the DNR. I (laughs) I think we can all get behind that. Yeah, I think we all can very easily. For sure. I think it could be one of the best stories in the history of Harrisonburg. So, to. Sorry to interrupt you and talk about this fantastic story. No, I think that's a fair transition time. <laughs> but so talking about the tight ends, I've just had the the receiving numbers up for this season. And Dylan has done really well. He only has 18 catches. But I mean, outside of Brandon Polk and Riley, who only has 28 receptions, the next highest is Kendall Dean with only 20. So Dylan's right up there. What jumps out to me the most is that the next tight end to really have – any type of production is Drew Painter with only three receptions. And then the biggest thing, and I kind of want to get your guys' take on it. So Clayton Cheatham had his fantastic freshman year, kind of battled injuries. I'm pretty sure he battled some injuries last year. And now this year, he only has one reception, which was for a touchdown, a two-yard touchdown. Do you think Clayton's just getting beat out by Drew Painter and Dylan Stapleton? Or do you think – what do you what, what do you make of Clayton Cheatham kind of getting buried at the bottom of the depth chart now? I'm definitely surprised. Like go season, yeah. I mean, he was a big, big. He only had eight receptions, but four of them went for touchdowns. He seemed yeah. like he kind of popped up all the time, and then last year he sort of, like you mentioned, he was a little banged up and reception. But I also feel like, at least from what I've seen, that they love Dylan Stapleton, his size, his blocking yeah. ability, what he can do. Uh with with Cheatham, I just feel like uh, he was definitely hurt last year uh, for large mm-hmm. portions of the season. That's absolutely good. My correct. memory served me right. Uh, yeah, I wonder if it's. I don't think they counted on getting Dylan Stapleton when they recruited Cheatham, and I think it was a case of Dylan Stapleton is just an older version of Cheatham who does all of the things he does and does them a little bit better, uh, and, and I think. So that alone would, would be enough of a reason to get him, you know, more PT on the field. Then when you factor in sort of the chemistry stuff with Riley and, and what it's like to have both of them on the field at the same time, I think that's what it comes down to. I do think once the Stapleton brothers are gone, we're yeah. going to see more Cheatham. I just love Cheatham. Does, yeah. He's fun to watch. Jambu family, man. I, I like it. all these kids that have older yeah. brothers. That played when I was Ravenel. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
It's the only other one I can think of. They had the Carter brothers when Robert Carter was there. That's true. They had uh, the Patricks, Tab, and Mac. Still. That right, yeah. Yeah. A lot of brothers. Uh, Richard Davis's yeah. brother? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Danucci. Just bring his brother. Just go, like, through generations of Danucci's, like a quarterback <laughs> for the rest of time. <laughs> Maybe throw in an occasion. That'd be... Here's the question, though. Which one of those uh, Danucci's would actually end up winning player of the year if the Flacco's keep bringing in their prodigies? That's a good point. <laughs> it really is. It's the start of a great rivalry. <laughs> not not even a school rivalry. It's a family rivalry. To be something truly epic. But we mentioned at the beginning it is Richmond week. Richmond is kind of terrible. I think or at least I did, um, that they would stink at the beginning of the year after looking at some of the results and losing uh, to Fordham. In the past. You can just say after it. losing to Fordham was a big one, yes. <laughs> after um Dan Piercing blue eyes left the spiders. I was wondering what might happen, and they've probably not going to make the playoffs last weekend. But do we think they're a real threat, Jack? You've been doing a lot of CA studying. What do you make of Richmond? Richmond is a very middle of the pack team. I mean, in every statistical category, they rank at best fifth, and at worst, like tenth. So they're just really mediocre um, and not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, you, they've won some close games and that's great for them. I thought they were going to have a shot at making the playoffs. Um, I thought they were going to beat Villanova. I thought Villanova was going to kind of keep that skid going. And after Richmond beat Stony Brook by 20, um, I thought Richmond was going to have the uh, kind of the, what's that called momentum going into that game. But it turns out I was really way too high on Stony Brook and I was way too low on Villanova and Richmond is just kind of there. Um, but yeah, they, they have a tough slate to finish out the season against JMU and then William and Mary, another in-state rival. So Richmond could very easily finish the season. zero and two and be at the back of the CAA. Um, they don't do anything particularly well and don't do anything particularly bad. Um, I don't, I, they're a real threat this weekend just because it's a rivalry game. Chase, what are your thoughts on the. Uh, I think for the most part, Jack is, is, is right here. I do think they do a couple things. Well, which is, sort of the things that Richmond has traditionally been pretty good at. They have a good quarterback. They have good receivers. They have a good defensive line. Uh, they, ha- they actually, they do? believe it or not, have the Damn, number one that. pass defense in the CAA. I think, that's, they, I, think that's, I think that stat's a little misleading, though, because when you watch the pass defense, you're not impressed by it. Uh, so I think it's more of a game flow thing than an actual statistical reality. Uh, but they, they pressure the quarterback well. Uh, they two, 2.6 sacks a game, uh, really high completion rating. They actually rank in the top 10 in FCS in completion ranking. Uh, 40% on third down on offense is certainly not terrible. Uh, so I think what we're going to see when you look at uh, the game this weekend is they're going to be the, the toughest vertical threat to JMU since the Villanova game. They're going to push the ball down the field. They're going to challenge JMU secondary. 
they're not going to have an effective running game. And I think what that sets up for is JMU getting adequate pressure with their front and then just dropping a lot of guys in the coverage and saying, okay, we're going to come after you every once in a while. We're going to keep you honest, but we're going to make you beat us with your passing game. Uh, we're just going to flood the zones and put a lot of athletes back here and make you beat us. And I think that's going to be tough. Uh, I think they could certainly start, uh, you know, installing pressure in, in random drives to sort of keep them off balance. I, I do think uh, I, I totally agree with Jack. It's a rivalry game. You can never overlook Richmond. People are thinking about the absolute beatdown JMU served up Richmond last year, Robin Stadium, and that was as fun a that, – that was one of those games where it was just like, oh, this is like bloody fun. This, this is like laugh at the like, you know, the, the guy in town square in the stockade. Like this is violent and bad. Like this is going to be one of those games. But I think if you look back over the last 10 years, JMU has – I'd say they have yeah. the advantage this decade, but most of the games have been close. Like most of them are one score games. Even that 2017 JMU team that I think is probably the, the greatest team that JMU has ever fielded, even though they didn't win the national championship game. Even that team won 20 to 13 over Richmond in Harrisonburg. Uh, the, it's very well documented how successful the road team has been in this uh, rivalry. So on paper, I think JMU has a lot of advantages. I think we're going to see a very heavy dose of, you know, two tight ends run the ball type of stuff. Uh, I think JMU is going to win. Of course I do. But, uh, you know, it's Richmond, and I don't think you can overlook this game, especially with this being sort of the last hunt before the playoffs. No disrespect to Rhode Island, but come on. This year, that's, it's just not going to happen. So this is the game. This is the last one. Secure the bag. Go to Rhode Island. Take care of business. Get get a top two seed in the playoffs. And, you know, we can start the more interesting part of the season. Because at this point, CAA, that's yep. kind of I right. definitely agree with all that. I think this is one they win. Uh, will be the, the last interesting game of the regular season. I think people will slightly tuned out for the road Rhode Island game. Yeah. Um, especially with, I think, students go home. I'm... I mean, game still, but I still think people will kind of be just discombobulated and looking at other stuff around that should be exciting. I am excited for this game. I'm excited for it being at home. Speaking of being at home, and I put this in the round table, but I guess I can touch on it here a little bit. Less than 20,000 for the New Hampshire game? They did. Bring- 19, Were you guys surprised by that crowd? And do you think that's a cause for concern? Or do you think people were maybe waiting and saying, I want to go to the Richmond game that we got? I just don't think New Hampshire has the pull that these other games do. You know, like New Hampshire isn't a really a rivalry game per se. Fans aren't getting really hyped up for New Hampshire. Um, it just didn't feel like, I mean, JMU sports Twitter and everything was really trying to hype it up as a top 10 matchup. But to me, there wasn't a lot of hype itself around the game. And I think that's why they pulled less than 20,000. I think it's a function of the schedule. Uh, I think the schedule's just so weird this year. And, you know, you had all those front-loaded road games. And then you look 
at the last sort of month of the season, you have yep. homecoming home game, uh, bye week, home game against New Hampshire, home game against Richmond. And as great as the JMU fan base is, especially these last five or six years where it's really gone to a, another level, you're just not going to get back-to-back-to-back, you know, three home games in four weeks sellouts. It's just not going to happen. So you had the big game against Towson at the end of October, and it's homecoming, and just everybody is there. You've got the Richmond game in mid-November. You know, that's going to be a popular game. New Hampshire felt like sort of a natural letdown spot, not for the team because they were coming out of bye and you knew they were going to be focused, but for the actual crowd, if you were going to pick a game to miss, yeah, nine out of ten people are going to pick that New Hampshire game to miss. So I, I kind of get it. Well, and then even a little farther, the Villains family weekend, and that one was hyped up a little more. So kind of a weird scheduling, like you mentioned. People are freaking out, and they're like, what are we doing? How are we not drawing 20,000 plus? But I think it's more of a, a factor of the schedule. Or the base is just completely rash in North Dakota State best team and everything else and um this is the end well we already know that North oh North yeah State, without a doubt trey lance is invented football we already know that do we um, think that danucci so do we think he'll get Division an invite one. to new york for the heisman ceremony or are we just expecting that to be trey lance alone <laughs> i'm thinking it's just going to be trey lance yeah uh it's going to be <laughs> trey lance jalen hurts and joe burrow and I mean, Joe Burrow had a nice game last week, <laughs> but did you see He's one of the buys? interception, <laughs> folks. Is that true? Is great person. Wow, it's like 21 nothing or something. It is true. That is gross. Yeah. That's a pretty good stat. Yeah. I, I didn't <laughs> Since we've taken this, up, this but, exit, but might here, as well uh, keep on going kind of right in front of us. Yeah, yeah, I might, I might as well stop at Sheets and get some mozzarella sticks while we're off the interstate. Uh, the I, Kevin Warner and, and a couple other people shared on Twitter uh, in the past few days some metrics from Bill Connolly, who's working on this uh, sort of beta version of the S&P Plus, but for SCS football. Uh, and it has – not only does he have the CAA as far and away the best conference, which – I was shocked by not that that a metric system would favor the CAA, yeah. but that it would favor it this much. Uh, so I, I, I was a little shocked by that, but I was also shocked. I, I was not shocked. The, the part that didn't shock me was how low it was on the Missouri Valley, which was still ranked number two, but significantly lower. Uh, did that, did any of that surprise you guys? Because I, we were, we were just sort of half joking about the whole, <laughs> Trey Lance, no interceptions, uh, Trey Lance Heisman stuff that we've sort of kitted around about all season. But I really do think that this North Dakota State team is great and has exceeded my expectations and all those things. I don't want to take anything away from them. But some of the teams they have beaten up on, I'm just not impressed by. Yeah, them. I mean, like, kind what, of they had their most of a really close – yeah, they had a good game against South Dakota State, and that was when their South Dakota State's quarterback went down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was tied late. South Dakota State's quarterback goes down, and then they rip off a long like, touchdown run in the last two minutes. Okay, it's kind of like, and you you feel free to just absolutely call me stupid for this, but they're almost like the Patriots of the NFL this season, 
Like the Patriots really haven't faced many great teams this year. And yet they're in the conversation for best team, which I mean, they've lost one and that's besides the point. That's just to bring to my analogy of the Bison are a really good team. And we all know that, but this year they haven't played a great team and the best team they played, you could argue and you could go down the rabbit hole of the what ifs if their quarterback doesn't get hurt does South Dakota state win that game? I don't know. No one knows that. And in the end, North Dakota state pulled it out and won. Um, but. Because, because it, this should be said, they're a great team and that's what great teams do. They found a way to win. So I, I think that's a really important note. Uh, no. Yes. No. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's, that's what just, separates well, I just North Dakota that state. That's what separates to bring it back to the NFL. That's what separates the Patriots. Like, these teams are great. They find ways to win. And these up quote unquote upstart teams, like, I mean, I wouldn't call South Dakota state an upstart, but they're nowhere near the same level as what North Dakota state has done. I mean, it's something to say that North Dakota state's culture is winning. They know how to win every type of game because they have won every type of game. So, I mean, yes, I kind of lost where the start of the question was, is North Dakota state overrated? Is that the question? Because I just I, were you were you surprised to see the valley ranked yeah. like that? Because uh, the three of us have sort of referenced that offline a little bit, so I know you guys have seen it. But I was surprised to see like the gap in yeah. that uh, it, it right. ranks conferences and it ranks teams. It's almost the gap. JMU's number one. I have it pulled up by, by ten point eight. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was going to mention. So the gap between JMU at one and North Dakota State at two in this poll is roughly the same gap as the difference between Weaver State wow. and UC. I didn't Davis. even think of it like that. Like, like that's a big gap. Wow. Right. And I don't like doing the whole stats thing because stats are only useful in the context of an argument. Right. So you can't just go, oh, look, this number's better, better than, way bigger than this number. JMU is way better than North Dakota State. That's silly. But I was surprised about the gap, and I was surprised how far down the numbers were on the on the valley this year. Uh, I, I do want to see, I do want to see North Dakota State play a, a team that's not in the valley. Like they play Delaware, but Delaware is kind of a yeah. valley team. If you watch the yeah. way they play. Like, it's defense and run the ball, and it's a little one-dimensional. And, like, Bison fans are like, yeah, did you see us beat the crap out of Delaware? And I was like, yeah, did you see the under 500 in the CAA? Like, you got to stop. You guys have some decent wins. I don't think that's right for this year. Like, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, this maybe you know, this might not be the right place for a larger conversation about FCS football. But I really was surprised by that, and I really, I just, I want to see yeah. North Dakota State. I'm fascinated by the North Dakota State like season journey game game where that was like matchup, and it's like, well, UC Davis turns out to not be very good, so it's like a, a still solid win. But then you've got the once they started beating Illinois State, Northern Iowa by those massive margins, it felt like there was just this push of, wow, this isn't the North Dakota State we expected that could be beatable. This is this unbeatable freight train led by trailing tenders going to do all these great things. And then the South Dakota State game really could have went both ways. They found a way to win, big win. And people would sort of build the Youngstown State game as a big one at the year. 
Youngstown State is not very good. No. And they ended up annihilating them. And then, I mean, they're a very good team. North Dakota State's a very good team. There's no taking that away. But, yeah, I'm in the same boat where it's like I want to see them play a team that is actually at their level. And I think, like unfortunately, it might, it might not happen until the semis of the final playoffs. But I think once it gets there, I don't think there's a game that some – that like everyone, you know, if you want to win it all, you've got to go get North Dakota State. You've got to go get them. And that's very true because they've won so many times and they're the number one team in the land. But I don't think the gap between like one and maybe four is all that big. Yeah. Great analysis. And I think if Jamie, I hope Jamie plays them is also something I would like to say. I do think in that Frisco. matchup would be fantastic to watch. Yes. I don't think they're going to yeah. play before Frisco. I, I think the trajectory. But, but I mean, Weber State's resume—they're going to be the top two seeds. So good uh, that I think it might get them to the one seed. <laughs> uh, That's—that's that's only if South Dakota State isn't the one seed. I, I don't know if you know this. Oh, that's Dakota right, James. Doesn't have that same type of really win. Oh, I forgot about so, that. Hey, if the right. Honestly, I can put the Weaver State stuff to bed right now, in all seriousness. I did think it was a good conversation. I do think Weaver has a really strong resume. Uh, and before this time last week, let me say this, eight days ago. Eight days ago, I would have told you, I think Weaver has a legit shot at the two seed. When the committee put out the look ahead, whenever that was, and they put Montana at eight and New Hampshire at ten, what they were effectively saying is none of this is going to change unless somebody loses because a Weber win over number eight, Montana is not going to be so much better than a JMU win over allegedly number 10, New Hampshire, that you're going to make a change at the top of the poll. So I think it was a good conversation because of how that look ahead was structured. That conversation is now over unless JMU loses their number two. And in my eyes, it's sort of definitive now. Uh, not because of anything that I agree with, but because of the way that that, that top 10 poll uh, was. It's I think that's fair. I think yeah. it was certainly interesting when New Hampshire got that 10 spot. Huge win for JMU. Business being in the top 10. So I guess kudos to the selection committee for inflating a victory for the Beavers. <laughs> well done, everyone. Claps all around. Yeah. <laughs> really Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that was... oh, oh, I wanted you to, to uh, talk about CS playoffs picture because I don't know a ton. I want to talk, hear you guys talk about CAA teams that might get in or look like they're going to get in. Uh, maybe seeds. I know we talked about that a little bit. And I guess possibly face in like the quarters or semis. If we think it's going to be on a collision course with JM1 versus the two. If the Dukes make a deep run, who are the kind of teams they might face in the quarters or semis? That's something I'm interested in. First off, I just want to know, with Chase, how many CAA teams do you really think are going to make the playoffs? Uh, I think it's four right now. And and I'm I'm hesitant to move off that number either way. I know a lot of West Coast people are thinking, oh, CAA, three teams. Keep dreaming. It's not going to happen. It's still a top three league, and the bubble is so weak this year. You know, 
the extra games, one one program getting an extra game all year probably favors the power teams because they probably won more of those games. So, the, you know, I think the Big Sky, the Missouri Valley, and the CAA are going to equal, yeah. I would guess, half the field, if not more. Uh, I Obviously, JMU is in. They're going to beat LIU. In. If you look at their Friday. schedule, they're going to be an eight-win team. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're in. Uh, I think Towson is in. And Towson I've been really unimpressed by, you know, during the CAA portion of their schedule. And if you look at where they are uh, in sort of the conference standings, you're going to be like, wow, they're that far down. But they are. Uh, but they're still going to get in because yeah. they're going to, you know, be – I think an eight win team. Uh, and if you're Towson and you're an eight win team in the CAA, mm-hmm. you're going to the playoffs. After that, it gets a little interesting. I think Stony Brook is a playoff quality team. I don't, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think, think there's a chance. I don't to think they the, can go the anymore. I think, I don't, I don't think they do either. Yeah. It's just one of those things this year where the CAA has eaten itself up. And I think it, I yeah. think they're a top 25 team, but they just don't have the, the resume at this point. So they're out. I think whoever wins the the Bryce Musket, uh, Bryce Cal, Bryce Lau, whatever it's called, the the New Hampshire Maine rivalry, uh, is back to the end of the regular season. Uh, and whoever wins the Musket, I think they're probably going. And I'm I'm kind of late to the party on Maine because I wrote them off like a month and a half ago, and then I went back and looked at their schedule on Sunday, and I was like. Yeah. Oh, I, shit. They can actually these get last the two weeks still. doing like, this, this column for Hero Sports, uh, the CAA like mess that it is. I had Maine as no chance these last two weeks because I really didn't think they had any real shot. And now all of a sudden they're five and five, three and three, and they've two FBS losses, if I'm not mistaken. And and all of a sudden, if they went out, there may yeah, be a do. chance for them to be kind of a sneak in team. Yeah, so I think whoever – New Hampshire and Maine, that's a play-in game. I think whoever wins that game is in. I think Albany has a shot, uh, which I – I mean, I can't imagine yeah. that I could have said anything like that Jeff. two months ago. Uh, just because – I mean, Albany should win some freaking awards this, this CAA postseason. I don't know if they will, but they should because the turnaround there, I mean – Good yeah. for them. Uh, good, just that's all I can really say. It's good for them. Uh, vi- okay, so we got Villanova, Towson, JMU, uh, the winner of the musket, and then that could be it. I, I think I don't think five is outrageous. I don't think it'll happen. Uh, b- but it, you know, I, I'd I'd say the odds favor four, but five is on the table. Yeah. If you're waiting for six again, don't hold your breath. Uh, and then I think outside of the CAA. That that last like four or five spots, I mean, it is rough. Like, you gotta really, you gotta really go out on a limb on some of these. Like the Citadel could be in, but who really knows? Southern Illinois, go look at Southern Illinois' record. They beat UMass because UMass is terrible, but it's still an FBS win. So they're going to be on the map no matter what because they own an FBS win, even if UMass would be like a 500 team in the FCS this year. Uh, they, they haven't beaten a single team that you care about. But they're going to finish 7-5 and five or 6-6 six and six with an FBS win. 
Um, and they're going to be there, you know? So I, I don't know. Um, I think they, they still have do. to play North Dakota state and they're six and four right now. So you're probably about to be six and five. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think an interesting one to keep an eye on. So if I can just sort of keep jumping around here is incarnate word because incarnate word is like five and five right now. And they're not on anyone's radar at all, but they're going to go play New Mexico state this week, who is Oh, and nine. And if they beat FBS, New Mexico state, it's even an though FBS I think win. it's a bad team, it's still an FBS win. It's sort of the same as Southern Illinois. And then all of a sudden, they got one Southland game left. They end up 7-5 and five with a decent Southland win and an FBS win. History says they're probably in the field, even though they're not really a good FCS team. Uh, so I, I think, you know, as is always the case, the committee is going to throw us some curveballs at the last minute, and people are going to go, wait, what? Uh, like, we, we're all kind of dunking on Kennesaw State right now. There's a pretty good chance they're going to end up in the field, and it's ridiculous. Like, they don't have any business being in there. They barely beat Campbell this past weekend after Monmouth just pulled their pants down. But I think there's a very good chance they're going to be in the field because they're going to end up, like, 9-2 and two, or 8-2 and two against the FCS. Or, I'm sorry, 8-1 and one against the FCS. They were a top 10 team in the coaches' poll almost all year, which should tell you everything you need to know about the coaches' poll. I don't even know why we do it anymore. But they're probably going to be in because this is what happens with the committee. They're going to put two big South teams in and they're going to leave out, you know, Montana state or Eastern Washington or, uh, a team that could Albany win that first some other weekend, decent team that probably is better. Yeah. And, and uh, I'd say another one I'm looking at, uh, is Southeastern Louisiana. I actually kind of like their resume. I kind of like their team. I make fun of the Southland routinely because if you go – I mean, we, we make fun of Sam Houston State because of the 2016 game. Go look at the Southland's record in the playoffs and then go look at Sam Houston State's record in the playoffs. Sam Houston State is the only team out of that conference that has any sort of consistency in the postseason. I think they've won like one or two games over the last 10 years if you discount Sam Houston State. I mean, it's bad. But I think Southeastern Louisiana actually could win a game in the playoffs – and this is the part where Lucy pulls the football away from me, and I go, what was I thinking? I, why was I betting on a Southland team to win a playoff game? But I do kind of like their team, so I, I think that's a team to watch. I'm interested to see what happens with the SOCON because they beat each other up, and they're not viewed the same way as the CAA. Uh, I, I'm interested to see what teams like Northern Iowa and Illinois State can do because I don't think very highly of them. I think – the national media and the national committee has a bias towards teams like that. They play a style that looks like North Dakota state. And so they get sort of a perception bump because of that. When in reality, I don't think either one of those teams are top 10. I think Northern Iowa played Iowa state to triple overtime because it was the first week of the season. And that happens with some FCS games. It just does. Uh, yeah. The Citadel beat Georgia yeah. tech this year. They might not make the playoffs. You know, so it, it, that's just kind of how some of these matchups go. Uh, Jack, you can go well, no, anywhere just, you want. When we were talking about CAA, it was funny just how much what you said lined up with what I wrote today for the column. Like Stony Brook, I was so high on them. I love Tyquell Fields. I thought they had such a dynamic offense. 
And it just seemed like they could never find a rhythm, especially after that JMU loss. In OT, they were one and three since. And because of that, they essentially played their way out of the playoffs. Richmond could still somehow find a way in. Um, won't find a way in, but I mean, there's still a chance. Same with Maine. Yeah, exactly. They have to win out. They have, they have to, to be have a JMU. couple things if happen Richmond in front of them. Too. I think New Hampshire, if New Hampshire can win their last two, like you said, I think they're in. And I think the CAA will most likely get four in. Um, they could get five, but it's very, very, very unlikely. So, and my forte is really the CAA. I looking around the FCS, it's, I don't know as much around that, but it's just this, this playoff field is, you know, who the top four teams are, you know, the top. And then after that, it just seems to be a wild mess that, if things fall one way, all of a sudden the big sky could have a couple more teams in and all of a sudden teams that shouldn't be getting in are getting in because of weird wins. So with, yeah. Bennett, you asked what, what yes, teams and we I was might also see interested in the playoffs. to go back even to the, uh, I think the first round. Cause I know sometimes JMU faces CAA teams very early on. So is there a potential CAA team? And then maybe after that, what could they face? That's absolutely where I was going with this. If Maine or Albany gets in the into the playoffs, either one of them, I would almost okay. bank on us playing them in the second round. Just because that is what the committee's MO has sort of been the last few years. If the CAA gets a team in and JMU didn't play them in the regular season, they're playing them in the second round. Uh, if you go back to the, the Stony Brook game where, where the awesome JMU secondary from 17 uh, – picked Stony Brook like five times and then we all forget about that game because then they picked South Dakota State ten times two weeks later, which doesn't even seem real. Like years later, I still can't believe that happened. Uh, they they picked up Stony Brook five times in a game. Uh, in a second round playoff game. And then last year they played Delaware in the first round. Uh, they didn't play Delaware last year. This year I think it's Maine or Albany, it's going to end up happening. They're, one of them is going to sneak in, and they're going to be in Harrisonburg in the second round. After that, it, it I'm not quite sure after that because it feels like there aren't a lot of really good teams in the immediate vicinity around JMU. It could it could be another CAA team after that. If, you, if I don't think Towson is healthy enough to go that deep in the playoffs or the quarterfinals. But if Villanova was there and we had a rematch in Villanova, I wouldn't be that surprised. Uh, I think I think you have to keep an eye open for maybe Monmouth in the second round. Uh, I don't know if they're going to get out of the first round, but I guess it's possible. Lafayette is interesting. Lafayette is three and seven right now and controls their <laughs> destiny for a playoff game. How about that? Patriot, Patriot League. League. Yep. That's a real stat. I'm not making stuff up. <laughs> Yeah, Patriot League. What are you going to do? Uh, yeah, may, maybe a SoCon team, but I I think those last couple weeks, uh, as has been the case before, you're going to have some teams from way far away coming east to Harrisonburg. Interesting. I would love the undercuffler in the second round. I think that would be a blast to watch the undercuffler against the Jamie secondary. That would be a fun one. I just don't think so, Albany's going to make its way into the playoffs. Well, that's disappointing to hear. 
yeah, unfortunately. It's going to be interesting. I do think JMU has the team to make a deep postseason run. I'm interested to see who they play. I think the senior was awesome in terms of matchups where you got the Stony Brook in the second round, Weber State quarter, and then South Dakota. South Dakota turnover fest in the semis, and then obviously North Dakota State in the championship. That was almost an ideal run in terms of matchups and how the games played out and all that stuff. I thought that was a blast. Do we have any more football? I don't think so. I think we just talked an hour and 10 minutes on football. I think this might be its own podcast. We had 20 minutes of, yeah. <laughs> I think some of that. Yeah, some of that hour 10 might have been uh, not included. In, was like, uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. I did the math. We need to start until like the 20-minute mark. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do we want to do CAA Pick'em, or do we want to move to basketball and do that later? We'll do Pick'em later. Okay. Basketball takes. We'll start with men's basketball. Um, so the row, the row era is through 100 games. They are 35 and 65. They are 1-1 one and one this year. Does anyone does anyone have any <laughs> thoughts on the first 100 games? I personally am weirdly optimistic. Yeah, you're why about a team that is 35 and 65 through why? 100 games? You were with me because the, the year. talent is there. I feel like this is a team they need yeah, to actually the talent win this year. Was there the, last year? Sorry. I'll yeah, stop. but they were still young. They were still young. Now oh I feel God. like with this schedule, I think they're going to be better. I still want to see. I think they're going to lose to to it at least Old Dominion here coming up, and they've got Mason too. Dwight Wilson, I'm not sure he's going to be back for either of those. Um, when they get him back, though, I think that'll be helpful in the post. I just think the CA, like, CA basketball is so bad that they should be able to win the league. So I'm holding on to hope just because when you look at the roster, I think it's arguably the best roster in the league, or at least yeah. one of the best two or, two or three. Here's the thing. I trust the roster. I don't trust Roe as the coach for this roster. and I But, don't f- no. oh, my Lord. What about the new coaches, Oppenheimer? He does like an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator thing this year, which is kind of strange. But I believe, I want to say Oppenheimer's like the offensive guy. So he's got this like new coaching staff going on. Oppenheimer is certainly more experienced than him as a coach, which also leads me to believe a conspiracy theory that I may share later. That Oppenheimer's but, the real coach and Rose just a recruiter now? No, that they're saving him on the staff as a potential, like, if it doesn't work out, uh, then they promote I don't know if Oppenheimer would actually do it, but potential thought. But I don't know. I like this team. I like Roe, even though he's <laughs> 35 and 65. Chase, do you have any thoughts on, on Roe and this team or program? Uh, my, my, my only real uh, concrete thought is that I don't think we as the fans, the media, all of us, I don't think we are using nearly enough nuclear bomb puns <laughs> to describe Oppenheimer. That's a very good thought. All right, just bring it in. Start, start throwing, throwing them out now. Like, I, the last decade, I've done, like, the 2116 content. Like, that's, like I'm the go-to person for that content. Uh, maybe the next decade, it'll be, like, <laughs> uh, mushroom clouds and, like, wow, JMU really nuked Bridgewater in this uh, opening... Need some work, but it's there. It's there. I'm, I'm still gonna workshop some stuff. Yeah, yeah. I got the idea. I just the other thing we were interested in talking about that I'm 
excited to talk about is the Matt Brady. There was some of this because I put on Twitter basically that Roe was through his first 100 games or whatever. And then I put like what other coaches had done. And then people are like kind of getting on the why do we fire Matt Brady train again? My take when he was fired is I actually thought it was the right move. I thought they were sort of stagnant and not going anywhere. Obviously, they're not they're not going anywhere now. Yeah. I, Bennett, Bennett, I want you to make yes. Bennett, I want you to make your case fully okay, first, so, so that I can then tell you with, why you're wrong. With Matt Brady, is I don't think he fully connected to the recruits like Roe does, which I do think is important at this. He connected level. to the Eastern Europeans pretty well. Yeah, well, he told us in a class once that he was like <laughs> he like the next morning he had a phone call with like the fourth best shooting guard in Finland, and I was like, oh god, this is this is what our team is going to be. We're going to get the fourth best shooting guard in Finland. <laughs> but no, I mean he did. I don't know if they're the guy you should target. And uh, we have no Finland players in the team. So I guess he went elsewhere, but it's a little disappointing to see the record now, but I don't know that the team plays that much worse. Like they found ways to beat bad teams under Brady. They were very good at beating bad teams. They would like tie for first place in the conference and they'd be 12 and six. And their six losses were against the three teams they tied with. Right. So they beat up on crappy teams not beating good teams under row, but they also they lose a lot of games <laughs> to really bad teams. I just don't think Brady was was a great coach. I don't think he had done anything that was all that special. And I feel like at some point you've got to lean into the fact that like you're dominant in so many other CAA sports that the men's basketball team can't just be dragging and bringing up the rear as much as it was. So I thought it made sense to move on from him. Then you can also look at the other side where the thing that stands out to me is they pay Roe almost nothing, even in comparison to other CAA coaches. So if you're going to go out and say that 21 wins isn't enough, Jeff Bourne's kind of got to go out and say, all right, let's go get somebody and let's make this happen. And he very much did not do that. I still think Roe can make the team a winning team, but the decision to move on from Brady to then hire what was reportedly like the fourth choice and to pay him like the seventh most of any CAA coach is a little bit embarrassing, honestly. Okay. Um, I guess let me react to some of the things you said first, because I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, factually, you are spot on with a lot of those Brady teams. They would beat the crap out of the lower two-thirds of the CAA. And when it came to playing, like, VCU, ODU, and Mason, right. they would go, like, one in five, you know, if that. Um, so... That was frustrating. Uh, you're not wrong about that. And I also thought the row hire was weird because it was like, we, it, it was, we view, hey, look at JMU and look at this athletic department and look at all the great things we do. And then there's men's basketball. And we deserve a program that is on the level of these other outstanding sports programs that JMU puts together that they never get enough credit for. The depth of the athletic department is ridiculous. Um, let's go find somebody. And then it's like, well, we're going to give this former player and JMU alumnus a, his first head coaching job. Uh, and we, we're going to give him that experience. And it seemed more like yes. it was a stopgap hire. You know, hey, let's, let's bring this guy in. We're going to open the Union Bank and Trust Center in five years. 
And once we've got that awesome facility and all this new money tied up, we can go find somebody else. Yes. And this guy, that, that's how it felt in the moment. Uh, and there, there are days where it still feels like that now. Um, here's why I hated the Matt Brady thing. Like, okay, you, you really have to have some context for this. So in 1994, because <laughs> that's where I'm going to start. <laughs> so get some popcorn. In 1994... Kate Kaluko went two for seven in the CAA championship game. Okay. But one of the two shots was a three in the corner in front of the JMU bench as time expired. JMU beats ODU 77-76. They win the CAA tournament. They go to March Madness. They lose by two points to Florida. It was a really good team. And in the 15 years after that, they are basically completely irrelevant. They go from winning the CAA to absolute non-thought. I think they had four winning seasons. They won the regular season one time in 1999. They didn't win. They, they Zero NCAA tournament appearances. Very few winning seasons at all. Matt Brady comes along in like 2008. Eight 21 seasons or four 21 seasons in eight years. There was a fifth season where he had 19 wins. Toward, I disagree that he wasn't really building toward anything. He had 72 wins in his last four seasons. So early on, the knock on him was too inconsistent. He would win 20 games, and then he would come back the next year, and he would lose, like, 22 games. And then he would win 20 games, and he would lose. And he would win. it was this alternating, frustrating thing. Um, but I think a lot of what was going on and what was going wrong was the fact that he was building a program that was an absolute garbage fire. And by the time that 2014 and 2015 rolls around, he has some decent recruiting classes. They're, they're on the cut. They're, they're coming off of the NCAA tournament appearance in 2013, which was when I was the sports editor at the Breeze. But they had good momentum. They were winning a lot of games. When the team wasn't injured, they had winning seasons. Uh, and then we fired him. And it just didn't make any sense to me. And, and my, my longtime friend, Carly Davis, who was my sports editor at The Breeze, we still argue about this. And it's like four seasons later now. So, like, it's, it's sort of a fascinating JMU debate. Where, like, I don't know a lot of other programs where they're still debating a coaching firing from, like, five years ago. Uh, so it is kind of odd that that's, it's part of the fabric of JMU basketball. <laughs> that, like, what's your position on Matt Brady so we know if we can be friends or not? Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like he, it took him almost a decade, but he established some momentum. I thought the program was going in the right direction and I get why they let go of him when they did, because it was sort of a natural stepping away point when you look at that graduating class. But I don't think the team would have fallen off a cliff for three years if Matt Brady was still the coach in 2016. Uh, I think they would have been down that year. But I don't think it would have been like three years of complete futility and, and you know, going whatever mm. the numbers you just said were 35 and 65 or whatever they are. Uh, it's I and you know what? I liked Matt Brady. Like I knew him a little bit. We had a relationship. Stephen Prophet was our best writer at the time with the Breeze. He was always at those games. We, we knew each other. I liked him. So it, it's not just me voyeuristically on the outside saying I think he was a good coach I knew him a little bit 
I thought he was a good coach. Uh, the shot doctor and all that stuff. I was bummed when they let him go. I thought it was the wrong move, but I do think that Lou can, you know, I, I think JMU basketball is well positioned going into the future. There's more than one way to get to success. I just disagreed with the call. Uh, but I hope, you know, like, do you guys think Roe is going to coach a game in the new basketball center? Like, because that's something that gets debated I in think certain alumni circles. It's like Bennett brought it up last week on the podcast. Uh, I think if slash when Roe gets fired, it'll be a year. He'll get a full season in the Union Bank and Trust Center. Is, that's what you think, right, Bennett? Yeah, I think he's going to. And I think it also, like, just going back on the, the history thing, like you look at the 2012-2013 team, that freshman class was nuts, right? It had Ron Curry, Charles Cook. Uh, I think there was someone else in there that was that was really good. I mean, they just had like this Andre Nation, who obviously didn't end up working out, but they had those Rip. guys on the um, the freshman class. And I imagine because Roe was on the 2011-2012 staff, I imagine he played at least some role in that recruiting process. They brought them all in, and then a lot of them left. And I think that would have been the team that would have been sort of made Brady. So I do think there's some idea or semblance that you have to trust Roe as a recruiter. So I do think that because of what he's added and the fact that he's basically, to me, the Oppenheimer hire is him in a way admitting like, you know what? I'm not that great a basketball coach, but I am a pretty good recruiter. So I feel like he's pretty open about like what he's able to do and things like that. I think doing that with this talented roster with him, as the main recruiting guy, I think that gives them a position to win a lot of games moving forward. Like this freshman class is pretty darn good. Michael Christmas is a freak of nature for a freshman, especially a JMU freshman. He's really talented. They've got some other guys that have done nice things. So um, Parker's a good sophomore. You've got a really great junior class. I think they'll see it out because I think they'll win more games this year. Be in a position next year to actually enter the season as the conference favorite. I just have no trust in Roe. Like, but I don't know that he trusts himself, and I think that's why. Wow, well, we're getting really introspective. Does he trust himself enough to trust us? But like, his you 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 were saying it. Brady beat up on bad teams and lost to good teams. Yeah, you know, and I understand that he did. Roe can't like, beat bad teams. Can't, can't be up yeah. six, and his coaching in those late games with four minutes left, all of a sudden you blink and JMU's down three and the clock has expired. Like I just, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the Oppenheimer hires is to kind of fix that. Um, but I, I don't know if I trust him as a coach. Some of those L's that JMU has taken the last couple of years are just not repeatable. Like that you just, I don't even know if coaching is a factor. It's it's bad luck, at, like impossible odds, and just I mean the Mason game comes to mind. Like I was sitting in the DNR office, like <laughs> right. what happened? They scored six points in half a second. Like what? Like I, it's just you know it's crazy stuff. So I, I don't I don't think it's totally fair to tag him with all that. But yeah, I mean he's not a great in game coach. I think that's. I think that's pretty well established. Uh, I, I think Bennett could be onto something. It's it it could be him conceding like, "Hey, I need some help," and that's that's a quality I appreciate. I, I appreciate self awareness in my coaches. Uh, I just don't know. 
I, I think it's clear. God, I really like the guy. I just he's not the long term guy, right? So it's when 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 is the point where we go? Okay, we appreciate you for you know we, we're really appreciative of all you've done here. You know you you filled an important gap. I do uh, think we're they have to be able to write the check now. That and I think they'll want to graduate out this junior class first. I could see that unless they could get a guy that would keep them. Like yeah. if they're bad this year and they can keep the juniors that are becoming senior. Well, even that, I mean, I think it's more of a, it might be more of a long-term view. I think it's easy to get bogged down and like, we need to keep Matt Lewis, but like, do they like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, like if they think, the if they think term. they need to move on. Yeah. I mean, then if Matt Lewis ends up deciding, obviously this is super far in advance and he has to do something else, then he'll do something else. But I don't know. The other thing that I do like about Roe is I thought Brady at times, like, and this is a super basic fan kind of take. I just wanted Brady to get like a technical and they would like warn him <laughs> and he would turn around on the bench. And he wouldn't get it. And then Lewis Rowe, like his first CA <laughs> tournament game, he was ejected in like five minutes. And I was like, <laughs> hell yes. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Just if there's an awful call, go for it. They end up winning that game with him. Not coaching for most of it. And uh, yeah, Byron Taylor a, had a pretty good coaching. Uh, he's a pretty good coach. No, but I mean, I think they've been more competitive against better teams. I think Rose had some, some good fire. I do think that him bringing in coaches, I want to see if that actually helps because I do think at the end of games and in some of those crucial situations, I don't know that he knew like what to do or, or what to tell the guys other than like, all right, just, just tighten down and let's do this thing, which isn't you know going to help anyone. Do you do you think he brought in Oppenheimer so that he was freed up? <laughs> I think Oppenheimer – I would expect Roe to get ejected at least five to ten times this season. Every meaningful game, he should get ejected. But I was fascinated because I was talking to Noah Ziegler at the Breeze, and he was saying that Roe is legitimately like, yeah, I have an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator, and I'm more of like a CEO guy. And I was like, this sounds like you just recruit, and then you – you're the, ones, you, for, you, you're, for, you're the one. You're the one that gets stand. the standing privileges on the sidelines. On the yeah. Side. So I mean, I'm fascinated to see how it develops because if they do start getting a little better at the end game stuff and all that, and he continues recruiting at a high level, and that's good. Although I do also think that if he is relying heavily on coordinators, I think at some point Jeff Bourne will be like, "Wait a second, why are we paying three guys what we could be paying one?" So yeah, I mean, I have no idea how it. Adult- develop but i think they have a chance wednesday to get a program defining win over shenandoah so <laughs> oh yeah you know th- that shenandoah game it's huge you know crosstown rival um really tough opponent and you know they really get their d3 stuff going last season was a close one i think the season before that was another close one God, i can't believe we scheduled d3 opponents man that's awful we I can't tell you anything about Shenandoah other than the fact that I had two ex-girlfriends from previously completely different parts of my life, like one from high school and then one from college. They both went to Shenandoah. They both studied nursing. (laughs) It is not that big of a school. They definitely know each other. And I just, I, I'm terrified of the moment where they both realized like, wait, we have two mutual friends, and only one of them is from inside of this program. Like, how do you know him? Well, how do you know him? So this is, this is my scouting <laughs> report for this basketball game. Is I can, we, do, can we dub this the Chase Kitty ex-girlfriend game? That's all I got. Uh, 
I don't think you can because there are better like, games. Which games? Which games? Can we tell? We need George Mason. This what you if might have like to George invite Mason me back ODU. for another podcast, one which during which I am like, <laughs> I, I need to drink a lot more if we're going to do that podcast. I'm I'm like throwing we'll have back a, frescas uh, right now. A uh, Jamie like Sports a News podcast after dark where we all just put on our headphones and record talking about sports while just heavily drinking. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll take your, we'll, we'll take your yeah. question now. On we'll probably finally get life. some, uh, some questions in that case. <clears throat> huh. The thing that could happen is if it doesn't work with Roe, let's bring back Brady. Let's keep Roe on staff. Let's go back to the good old days. Or, Let's just <laughs> he would actually be so offensive good coordinator. Let's Brady. just become the Evansville Purple Aces. A lot of people are saying that JMU is the Evansville of the CAA. <laughs> <laughs> Even after they lose to Virginia by thirty-one, can we they talk about early. that game? Yes, I was in attendance. Yeah, really, you were? Are you like the uh, Daily Progress beat writer for the UVA basketball? I'm a program? huge, deal. <laughs> I'm a huge deal over here. <laughs> How many times have you been like tweeted? Thank day. God you're not Sam Bloom. Can we talk about your video that you posted real quick? That had Yo, that geeking was... when you were like, "Yeah, Tony Bennett. Yeah, he won it last year, but I don't know if he can do it again." Wait, wait. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Gotta pander to the base. <laughs> Guess that engagement. <laughs> No, but it was it was a game where they were slightly competitive in the first half, actually. Yeah. They trailed by eight, and they led a little bit. Matt Lewis was, like, three for four to start. Um, yeah, and then, like, reality hit, and they were like, wait a second, everyone on this team is taller. And yeah, I don't know I what happened in the first half, better. but Virginia, like, didn't go big. And then at halftime, I guess Tony Bennett was like, all right, I guess now we'll, we'll use our seven-footer. And they just put in their tall players, and JMU, like, couldn't do anything. I loved so. – Rose game plan for that game though like going into it i know a lot of jmu fans are like why'd they take so many threes and not convert i got a jack threes well i think grow knew okay we don't have height we can't drive let's try to find jumpers and it kind of worked in the first half and then the second half we all know what happened and but i'm focusing really on the first half because i you can't really make an adjustment to height yeah and like <laughs> yeah, the ICBMs were out of red. Um, it's like impossible to take more twos than threes against Virginia this year. Like it's very challenging. Syracuse also did the same thing. Um, they scored thirty-four points and they shot more threes than twos. Which Jay- and Jim Beheim is their coach, so I don't know that we should question the coaching decision of shooting more threes. It's hard to drive on them. They're fast, and if you do get past the fast guards, then you have two people that are like six ten or taller and super lengthy. And just we'll just destroy Zach Jacobs' shot every time he puts it up. Yeah. Zach Jacobs was smart to travel 14 times as opposed to actually playing up shots. No. He's, he's developed nicely. He's done well. But the team as a whole traveled, I think, like 10 times in that game. It was just insane. That just makes me think, does the CAA refs miss it that much? Like, do they do that every game? Or I think they were just freaking out because they were playing on the road. At, um, according to Jamie's website, the number one team in the country, so. Make it's it fixed now. Did they fix it? Yeah. They, they do. UVA does weird stuff to people. Yeah. But uh, they were only 32 points away 
or 11 threes away from winning the game. But look, so something to build? Yeah, when you look at it like that, it's, it's great. Something to build on. <laughs> Matt Brady himself, he not the team. He would have came in. Yeah. He, he, he would have created additional eligibility here. for himself and then coached himself on how to win himself. <laughs> Matt Brady, one on five versus the 2019 Virginia basketball team would be a sight to see. <laughs> I know which side I'd be on. Actually, I feel like there were always weird videos of him, like shooting, like over his head. Like he would play people, like I don't know what to call it, pickup, but it would be like a fake practice thing. And he would have like these weird crafty moves. Yeah, he's special. I miss he's him. the shot doctor, man. Uh, well, that was pretty much yeah. my only Jamie basketball take. Although I do think they're going to beat George Mason and Old Dominion. Really? Is that bold no, or do I, you really think so? I think they'll beat Mason. Whoa. Um, I have not looked at how good Old Dominion Whoa. is. Let me check Old Dominion. I don't I think, think they're going to win either of those games. They're going to beat Mason for sure. Mason is not good. I, I don't okay. trust JMU because JMU's not good. Right, they're great. Oh, 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 wow, wow, wow. Yeah, they lost on the road to Northern Iowa by five. Old Dominion to start the year. I'm going to take the Dukes to win both of those. So you think JMU, Book it. come November 21st, will be Let's, four hey, and one? On my birthday, they'll be four and one. <laughs> and um, if they get by Shenandoah, if they get by Shenandoah, I think what Shenandoah does defensively. The what do they pass. do defensively? Is there tape on Shenandoah? These are the questions I have. Shenandoah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Shenandoah has five feed. players all at five, two or under. And what they do is they do the ankle defense where they just sort of like get in between your ankles. <laughs> they stop with the dribbles, steal the ball. And uh, yeah, no, but I, I, I'm going to go out on the limb and say they beat George Mason and Old Dominion. I kind of like that. I don't think they will, but I like I like your uh, <laughs> yeah. I really like your positivity for this team this season. Thank you. Because last season, I thought we were on the same page and uh, really just on the fire road train. And it really turns out you've turned on me. And um, yeah, I want to see one more year, and then another one. Okay, whatever you Women's want. Women's basketball. You were on the fire O'Regan train last week. So that's my transition. <laughs> Hottest take I've ever heard. Okay. Quickest backtrack I've ever seen. And I really am. If I could delete that podcast from everyone's memory, I would <laughs> because I realized how stupid of a thing it was the second I started to like hash it out. I just. <laughs> For like half a second, I, I was, I was like, Were you, really? you know what? And then I realized, oh, this is the dumbest thing. I really have to. <laughs> Really have to backtrack real hard. <laughs> yeah, you you tried to put him on the hot seat. Yeah, I did. I was just trying to get clickbaits, you know, and get engagement. <laughs> but it was so bad. Yes. It was so bad. Huge yikes. I do understand. Yeah, it was basketball. You know, it's not as bad as saying Connor Mitch is going to be the starter over Brian Shore, though. That was... <laughs> <laughs> I basically I didn't do I that right. One thing, I read one thing that was, that was like it, right? Connor Mitch threw nine touchdowns in a high school game, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's amazing!" <laughs> and then that was wrong. And then I went to like a scrimmage, 
and it was like a big scrimmage. And it was like, this is where Connor Mitch and Brian Shore really do it. And Brian Shore laid like a six play, 75 yard drive and dropped an absolute dime for a touchdown. And I was like, God. <laughs> and then Connor Mitch ended up breaking his like thumb on like a washing machine or something. So he had a good legacy. Oh, I've heard. I was going to say that the difference between Bennett and me and our reporting styles is that Bennett followed Connor <laughs> Mitch to practice and like wrote an elegant piece about his like play style. And then I was like in Charleston towns at football parties, like, yeah. So uh, what do you guys think about the team this year? And they were like, do you need another beer? And I, I was like, stories yeah, like, about Connor Mitch that were just absolutely wild from his South Carolina days. Like I can see it. Like, Oh, <laughs> you don't even need to go back to true, true. Wednesdays, man. <laughs> what a game. Okay, back to women's basketball. Sorry, that was a complete hard detour. Women's basketball is 2-0. Jackie Benitez is slightly banged up. They beat Villanova. They scored 56 points, and Smalls and Barrier combined for 42 of those. So they're if they want to beat Maryland on Wednesday, top 10 team. Number eight home, in the country. Yes, they will need at least – a third and or fourth score. Although I do think from what O'Regan said today at O'Neill's that there's a chance that Benitez comes back, which would be pretty important for them. They can't just have barrier and, and smalls do it yeah. all. I expect to be the top Kiki, 10 team. Kiki has to start to, I, I know she had the yes. fantastic first game, but she needed to yeah. kind of do a little bit of something in the Villanova game, um, which she didn't. So she need, she needs a good game against Maryland. Smalls and barrier need to continue. And Benitez has to actually hit threes. Chase, you have any hot takes on women's basketball? Uh, my only hot yeah, take is who that's that should be I really fired. don't know whoever said that. That was the worst take of all time. Yeah. No. Seriously, yeah. I, I think so highly of Kenny Brooks, and when he left for, for Tech, I, I got it, I understood it, but I was so disappointed because I thought, man – I just don't know who could keep this program going at this level. It's always going to be good. It's, you know, one of the winningest programs in the history of women's college basketball. But I don't know who could keep it going at this level. And Sean has just been so good. Uh, And I really think this is going to be his best team this year. So I'm really looking forward to the job he's done. And I'm thankful uh, for him, for the job he's done, and, and here's a question: moving at a high level, the, we all this is a fantastic team, best team that in recent memory for JMU women's basketball. If they lose in the CA tournament and they make a deep run in the NIT, do you think that's a blemish on this season, or do you think a deep NIT run is just as good as a tournament appearance or even a tournament win? I think they're going to be positioned for an at-large bid. Really? If they lose. I, okay. I do too. And I also don't – I don't I don't even want to think about the NIT. <laughs> I really don't. I, I, I'm – dude, I'm trying to figure out how many Seven. CAA – Yeah, we're bringing in basketball. The second basketball starts coming about up, about you know, you really just got to start chugging everything. I need, like, a whole new external hard drive on my computer. I think they'll make the NCAA tournament. I think they will win at least one game, and that is my take that I'll stand by. I do, too. I think they can win a game this season. I was just curious if – I'll bring that question up a little later on in the season. Next week. Yeah, exactly. 
when we don't have Chase bringing down the NIT vibe. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, when we get our, our promotional NIT stuff going along. Yeah, like I we mean, like. They're our, they're our biggest buzz. Big NIT energy. I mean, we can't just destroy them. It's true. The NIT does. Yeah, exactly. Oh, men's soccer. Um, they won the championship Sunday. Just <laughs> they they advanced to the, the final. I swore. Number... Why does men's soccer and women's soccer? Why are they not on the same schedule? It's crazy. It also seemed so dramatic in the way that they had posted it, right? That it did. It seemed conceivable that it was in fact a championship. That was completely. I think you tricked Jamie Barstool as well because they tweeted the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's a complete egg on my face. I'll take that. that I think one. that was genius, actually, because we deleted ours. <laughs> so what you're doing is trying to harm the credibility of the um, one of the top news outlets in Harrisonburg, Jamie Barstool. So smart move there. Yeah, that's, that was actually my plan. But I really did think they were going to the championships. Oops, whatever. Well, now they're on to it. So they've got a chance to beat number one UNCW in the save final on Saturday. Should be an interesting match. I do think they'll get an at-large if they don't win. Do yeah, agree? yeah, 110%. I mean, you, you don't take down number one Wake Forest. You don't give UVA a good run, and you don't take down number 14 Cal State Fullerton and not get an at-large bid. That's actually something that has, like, on paper. Yeah, exactly. Those like specific things. The, those exact teams. <laughs> right, so it's lucky they got them on the schedule. <laughs> yeah, for real. And honestly. then to be able to do that where you lose to Virginia but in close fashion to clinch the at-large bid. Congrats to JMU. <laughs> Women's soccer season ended. Field hockey season ended. Volleyball still chugging along. Do we have any any thoughts on any of these? Any of you two? They were destroyed. Women's soccer was destroyed in the championship game, five to one. Yeah, that was a tough one. Getting there was impressive. Yeah, that was a good run. spin. That's all I have. Field hockey lost. Volleyball senior night. Good night. Volleyball and, will win uh, the CAAs. I mean, Towson might actually give them a little bit of a run for their Towson's money. unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, so maybe not, but we'll see. Wow, I think that we made it to the end. Oh, thank God. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if we no, have four. We don't even have four. We lose them pretty I mean, quickly, is... I think. That's one of our podcast specialties. Yeah. It's like really losing the listeners after the first. That's why we put our one ad that Anchor gave us right at the beginning. Mm, smart. Yeah. So, um, like us for the two people listening. Still, probably no one listening. <laughs> we should I'm definitely gonna... add that. To, we should definitely add this to the beginning. The subscribing <laughs> and the liking. Um. Yeah. So give us a like on Facebook. Type in Jamie Sports News um, in the Facebook search bar. Follow us on Twitter, but you probably already do if you found this podcast at JMU Sports News. Check out our website, www.jmusportsnews.com. Check us out over on Patreon, um, even though no one does that. Still might as well say it for no one listening. Thank you so much, Chase, for joining us on this marathon of a podcast. We covered a lot of stuff, and your takes make us sound insightful. Yes, thank you. For Bennett Conley, sure thing. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful, what is today, Tuesday? Have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. See ya.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.